In order to choose a deacon or deacons, it's important for us to know what the biblical qualifications are for a deacon. Uh, As I've said already, uh, today we're going to look at the biblical qualifications for a deacon because on August the 27th, during our annual business meeting, we'll be uh, voting to elect two new deacons. Uh, We'll be replacing two deacons who will be rolling off. It's uh, Brother Billy and Johnny, and to both of you guys, grateful for your service. And this time that you've been on there, not that they won't come back again in the future, right? <laughs> this is yes. <laughs> you too, right? Um, thank you for your service and, and serving our church and serving the Lord. And uh, those two will be rolling off and we'll have two who are coming on. You see those in your bulletin. Because of that, it's good for us to pause and it's good for us to think about what God says in His Word concerning the things that we're to be looking for when we select our deacons. In the passage here, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives the qualifications for deacons, and he also tells us in one word, the word deacon here, what they're called to do. And we want to think about this today as we, uh, with a view of voting for those who will serve us as deacons here at Redbud this coming year and in the, in the years to come. In 1 Timothy 3, chapter 1, Paul's writing to Timothy to give him a, the qualifications Uh, Not just for deacons, if you go back up to the verses just before that, verses 1 through 7, he also gives the qualifications for those who would serve you as pastors or elders in the church. If you look closely, you'll see that those qualifications are very similar. If you ever read those, you could put them side by side, and you see these qualifications are very similar. The major difference is that the pastor, the elder, must be able to teach the Word of God. That's the one Difference You see, if you put these side by side, that would be the one difference you would see. That the pastor elder must be able to teach the Word. It's not required that a deacon be a gifted teacher, although being a teacher would be an added bonus, right? It's not required of him to teach, but if he is a teacher, that's just an added bonus. It's not a qualification. So, I, I was raised a lot of my life. This guy, you know, I heard people saying he shouldn't be a deacon because he can't teach the Bible. And you know, I was raised most of my life thinking that until you read the Bible and uh, he doesn't have to be a gifted teacher in order to qualify as a deacon. Now we'll find out he must understand the Word of God and hold the truths of the Word of God, but he must not be a, uh, a gifted teacher. The main thing that seems to surface when you're looking at these qualifications is a focus that's placed upon the character of the man. Is he holy? Is he above reproach? Is his pattern of life one that is an example for the church to emulate? If he's not, Paul clearly wants us to see that such a man is not qualified to be a deacon. So with this in mind, we want to look at this passage and we want to apply, notice I said, we want to apply what we see to the process of selecting those who serve us as deacons this coming year and in the future. Again, I want to say this, in case some of you were nodding off when I mentioned this earlier. I'm not preaching this text because I feel like we have a problem with our deacons. Everybody hear that? Alright. We don't have a problem with our deacons, but I am preaching this text because I have a responsibility as your pastor, as a leader of the church, to lead you to understand what's required of those who fill this office of deacon. So look with me at verses 8 and 9, and here's what we see. If you have your hand out there, it's pretty simple. We see the character of the deacon. That's the first thing we see here that's being pointed out to us. Verse 8 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
Here we see four requirements as it relates to the character of the person we're to be looking at who serves as a deacon. But before we look at these, I want to make sure we know what the word deacon means. Okay? The word deacon means servant, one who ministers. And with that in mind, all of God's people are deacons in the fact that they serve and minister to one another. Keep that in the back of your mind there. It means to serve, to be a helper, one who ministers, which indicates the deacon's function in the local church is that of what, church? What do they do? They serve. That is their role. Deacons are men who desire to serve the church, which is ultimately serving who? Jesus. If you serve His church, you are serving Him. Uh, Now, I say that to say this. They're not men who simply want a position. They want to serve. The men you want as deacons are men who are servants, men who love Jesus and His church, and they want to Work to serve His church. Often, they do this with diligence. And they do it without thanks a lot of times. And I'll talk about that here toward the end of the sermon. They do that to ensure that the church effectively carries out God's purpose in this world. That's what deacons do. They serve the church. They serve Jesus in order to advance the gospel. To help the church carry out its mission in the world. Notice there in verse 8 that deacons likewise must be dignified. Some of you guys are going, I never thought in my whole life I'd be required to be dignified. Well, some of you look at that word and maybe you're not looking at it in the right way. The word dignified, and some of you have translations that has the word reverent or worthy of respect. Dignified means that a man uh, being considered as a deacon is to be one who has earned the respect of the people in the church. That's what that's talking about. He, he is, he's to be someone they recognize as honorable, someone of good character. He should be someone in whom people see as a consistent, godly, dignified life. Someone worthy of respect. And the best way to define what Paul means by dignified is to look at what immediately follows there in verse 8. By dignified, he means someone who is what? Notice what he says. A person must be dignified. They must be respectful. He means someone who is what? Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. After saying uh, what deacons should be, notice here Paul gives three descriptions of what they should not be. Did you pick up on that? Here's what they should be, dignified, but here's what they should not be. They should not be double-tongued. It's a reference to what? What do you think that's a reference to? The speech. You may you may have heard double-tongued as referring to as, when I was growing up, it's... They, Someone who speaks out of both sides of their mouth. People who say one thing to one person and something to someone else. Uh, This means a deacon cannot be uh, a people pleaser. Now, don't misunderstand that. If you're like me, you want to try to make everyone happy, right? But it just, pardon me, it ain't going to happen. But we can't be people pleasers, but we want to be Jesus pleasers. And sometimes uh, that's what's required of us. You can't be people-pleasers, telling people what they want to hear. Okay? It also means that a deacon must not be hypocritical, insincere, or deceitful with his tongue. Uh, we are all aware of how much damage the tongue can bring to the unity of the church, right? You understand how that's important for the deacon to have that kind of speech? Because if he's not, that he can bring disunity in the church. And for that reason, a deacon must be a man who has a reputation of consistently speaking the truth and not stirring up controversy with his tongue. A deacon must be one who puts out fires and conflict in the church instead of what? Throwing gas on them, right? A deacon should try to deflate those things. He shouldn't um, hide truth, but he should be someone who's not stirring up the truth. 
He must be one who's had his tongue tamed. Where did we hear that recently? James. Read to the book of James. Notice it says the deacon must not be addicted to much wine. The word translated addicted here means to apply himself to, to attach himself to, to hold to or cleave to it. He must not be attached or cleaving or clinging to much wine. Scripture clearly says don't be drunk with wine. The man who is attached to alcohol is not a man who is qualified to be a deacon. I think that's pretty clear. Third, a third aspect of being dignified. Remember he said being dignified, a man of respect. And these things should not be. Therefore, if they're, they're not in his life, he would be considered dignified. A third aspect is the deacon must not be greedy for dishonest gain. He must not be a lover of money. That's pretty much what that's talking about. A person who is absorbed by material things of the world. He must not be a person who struggles a great deal with a particular sort of idolatry in his life. Now, you understand what I mean by idolatry? It's not worshiping little statues of Buddha. We make an idol out of anything, right? Accumulating things, material things. He should not be a person who's greedy for dishonest gain. Notice now in verse 9 that instead of having... These negative qualities, Dickens are to do two things. So he says, be dignified, be a man of respect, and these things here should not be evident in his life, therefore he would not be dignified. And in verse 9, he says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And the word mystery there is not like um, uh, Scooby-Doo, you know, how they go around solving mysteries. Some of you are going, Scooby-Doo, I don't know that I, well, I don't know Scooby-Doo or not. Just watch the cartoon channel. You, you, you'll see it. That was a cartoon when I was growing up as a kid. They, they had the mystery machine. They went around solving mysteries. So the word mystery is not used in the New Testament the same way we think of it today. Uh, it's not that uh, which is beyond knowledge, but rather that which was once hidden, but now it's been revealed. That, that makes a big difference. It's, it's something that's once hidden, but it's now been revealed. The word mystery here is Paul's word for the greater mystery of God's plan to save people through the death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls it a mystery because even though, you know, you go to the Old Testament, you see that the prophets there doing what? They're speaking of a Messiah who's coming. There's a Savior coming into the world to save the people from their sins, but we don't really know or hear the name of who that person is. And even though we see that in the Old Testament, we hear them speak of it, Nobody still has had a clear understanding of how God was going to work that out. In the Old Testament, you read it, and the prophets were continuously saying, there's a Savior coming, there's a Messiah coming. He will save the world from their sins. And then when you get to Matthew, you read the first chapter of Matthew, and what does Matthew do? Here he is. It's Jesus. You remember the Old Testament prophets have been pointing us to a Savior who's coming? And when you read Matthew, Matthew says, here he is. It's Jesus. What was once a mystery has now been revealed. So the mystery of the faith here refers to the truths of the faith, which were previously hidden, but they've been made evident in the New Testament. So what Paul is saying is that deacons need to be biblically sound. Now, I know you're going, well, I thought you said earlier they didn't have to be teachers. You can be biblically sound and not be a teacher, right? They need to be biblically sound. They need to be biblically grounded men who have a deep understanding of the gospel and the implications for that gospel in the life and the ministry of the church. Deacons should be those who see the gospel as the priority of the church. In case you're wondering what the priority of the church is, the gospel is our priority. 
We have other things that we do, but all that we do should be focused on the gospel. Everything. And our deacons serve the church. They should be men who hold to the truth of the gospel, hold the mystery of the faith, and their priority in serving the church is to make sure that the church keeps its focus on the gospel. Now, what does this mean for us who are going to vote on deacons? It means the man who does not know the central truth of the Bible should not be a deacon. Again, he doesn't need to be a teacher, but he needs to know the essentials of the gospel and the truth of God's Word. A man that does not know the gospel and who cannot communicate the gospel, he can't possibly help the church to do what? Focus on the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Understanding the gospel makes it possible for the deacon to minister more effectively to the people in his care. Deacons a lot of times are called upon when people are suffering and when they're hurting to come alongside them and to, to encourage them and to help them in their troubles and their, and their walk in life. If he doesn't know the gospel, which is his, if you will, that's his salve for applying to everyone's problems in the world. Does their problems go away because of the gospel? No, but a deacon who does not know the gospel can't possibly come along and point people to the gospel and say, I know it's hard, brother or sister. I know it, you're hurting and you're struggling, but the gospel, Jesus is our hope. The gospel has saved us. The gospel has redeemed us. And Jesus is worthy of our lives in times of suffering. And if he doesn't know that gospel, he can't possibly point people to that gospel. But notice Paul says that they must also have a clear conscience. Conscience is the, that human faculty that God gives to every person. We all have a conscience, right? And God gives us that conscience to warn us when we are violating His moral law. Do you realize that's why you have a conscience? God gave you that to help you understand when you're violating His moral law. Some of us like to refer to it as what? The little cartoon with the devil on this side and the angel on this side. That's the way we look at it. What this conscience does in relation to what we're talking about here, it does one of two things. It either accuses or it excuses Deacons must have a conscience that excuses them. Notice it says they must have a clear conscience. It's not enough to merely believe the truth. Deacons must also, what? Live the truth. They must have a clear conscience. They must know the truth of the gospel, but they must live that truth. They must have a a life that supports a profession of faith. If not, then their profession of faith, James says, is what, church? It's... Well, that works, faith is what? Dead, and that faith can, can that faith save you? That's what James says. They're to be gospel men. There's to be a spiritual dimension to their lives. The church cannot have the view that pastors are spiritual, but deacons are whatever you want them to be. That's not the case. Why is that? But you can't have that because that's not a biblical view of deacons. Deacons are to be spiritual men, men who know the gospel, not... Expert teachers, not scholars, but men who know the gospel and who keep the church in line with the mission of God to proclaim that gospel and applying the gospel to people's lives. Now look at verse 10. If you're looking at your handout here, how do we evaluate the character? It's talked about here's the character that you're to be looking for. How do you evaluate for character? Verse 10 says, And let them also be tested first, then... Let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves to be blameless. First, we see the deacons are to be what? Tested. The word tested is in the present tense. Indicating the testing 
in view is to be continuous. There's no probationary period or a one-time test, but a rather continual evaluation of the men in their lives. It comes by watching the way they live. Constantly evaluating their lives. Watching how they live. Now, here's a point of application. What this means is that those being considered for deacons who aren't available on a continuous basis for us to observe them, we can't observe them, right? They're to be faithful attenders. It makes it difficult to observe them when you can't, what? Observe them, to evaluate their life. They can't make these qualifications if they can't be observed. They've got to be tested. And also, if someone has only been coming to church for a short period of time, he's probably not a good candidate for a deacon. If he's, if he's a new believer, he's not a good candidate for being a deacon until we can what? Test his life. Watch his life. Observe him. The church needs time to observe his life, to see how he reacts and responds to the different challenges and things that go on in the life of the church. That's common sense, is it not? You want to evaluate someone, you need to have a period of time to do that and to watch them. Now, based on the qualifications that we see in verses 8 and 9, this testing involves what? You're watching their character. And in verse 9, you want to know that they know the gospel. You want to evaluate their doctrine. And after the congregation has been able to evaluate the man's life, notice what it says in verse 10. Then. Did you pick up on that word then? You notice how important that word is? After the congregation has had time to evaluate him, then he may be chosen to serve as a deacon if he proves to be blameless. This means um, no specific charge of wrongdoing can be brought against him. He's blameless. Now, listen, it doesn't mean he's perfect, right? Guess what? If perfection was a qualification, we wouldn't have any deacons, right? We wouldn't be any Christians. Blameless here means there's no specific charge of wrongdoing that can be brought against him. He's blameless in relation to what? All these things that Paul has said prior to that. Tested first, then he can serve if he's found blameless. Now let's look at verse 11. Here we see, verse 11, if you're looking at your handout there, the character of a deacon's wife. It says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, uh, some of you may have a translation that reads woman instead of wife. Okay? Uh, Ladies, please hold your songbooks for later after I explain this, okay? The word for woman and wife in the Greek is the word gune. You're thinking, couldn't they have thought of a more pleasant name? I would agree for women. But gune, it can mean either wife or woman, depending upon the context in which it's in. Now this has caused a lot of people to think that Paul is referring to female deacons here instead of wives of deacons. Um. Because our goal today is to point out the qualifications of a deacon, I'll not go into all the discussion with this issue. And you're going, thank you. Except to say that I hold the position that the text is telling us the words referring to the wise of deacons and not women deacons. But I will give you my argument, my reason for that. So you just can't walk away and say, well, our pastor thinks it's talking about wise of deacons. Well, why? I don't know. But he just said that's the way it was, so that's what we're going with. So let me give you some reasoning here. 
The flow of thought here, if you look at this, on either side of this verse is referring to male deacons. It would seem odd to interpret here it as woman and then resume speaking to male deacons again in chapter 12. Secondly, the word wife is used when it appears the following time in verse 12. You notice that? Thirdly, I think Paul is talking about deacons' wives because it allows for a good transition to verse 12 where he deals with the requirements for the male deacon's marriage and his family life. Fourthly, if Paul is listing separate qualifications for female deacons, why is the list so limited? And lastly, it makes good sense that the character of a deacon's wife is to be part of his required qualifications, given the fact that she will certainly assist him in his ministry. So I think it's talking to wives of deacons and not female deacons. So if you want to talk with me about that later, further on, I'll be glad to do that. So let's look at the requirements here for a deacon's wife. Notice the word likewise. What does likewise mean? It indicates for us that the wife is somehow involved in her husband in serving the church. Likewise. They are to be dignified. It's the same word used in verse 8 of the husbands to mean honorable and worthy of respect. When you're looking for a deacon church, you look for an honorable couple. If the man is that way and his wife is not, it's quite possible he's not qualified to be a deacon. Deacons' wives, it says here, are not to be slanders. Again, the word here uh, is diabolos. He uses this word to refer to the devil. Again, ladies, don't hold your songbooks for later. Men can be devils at the same time, right? Amen, ladies? Yeah? It can also mean to be a malicious gossip or an accuser. That's what's going on here. What would be the reason for Scripture to say that a deacon's wife must not be a malicious gossip? Why do you think that would be necessary? There's the possibility the wife, in ministering with her husband in the life of the church, could become aware of certain information that would be best for her to keep quiet about, right? As her husband ministers to people. Ladies, you can be involved in ministry with your husband, and he can come in contact with some information about people's lives that needs to be kept quiet. Therefore, the wife doesn't need to be the town crier when it comes to those things. Notice there, the wives would be sober-minded. This means to be self-controlled. She doesn't. Uh, it means to, she exhibits self-control in all the areas of her life, not just one life, but every area. A lack of self-control would bring reproach upon her husband and his role as a deacon. And finally, notice what it says there: she should be faithful in all things. This means she's to be reliable and faithful in what she does. She's to be trustworthy and dependable when ministering alongside her husband. Wives. Wives-to-be, you may not have realized until today that Scripture says that the way you live your life could disqualify your husband from being a deacon. Wives, live in such a way as to add to and help your husband's ministry. Don't live in such a way as to disqualify your husband from serving as a deacon. Verse 12, the deacon's family life. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Now, just as the, with the qualifications for a pastor back up in verses 4 and 5, the family can always be a proving ground for deacons. You want, you want a place to observe a deacon and to watch his life? Look at his family. How a man leads and conducts his family will tell you a great deal about how he will serve the church. 
With that said, I want to make sure that you understand Paul is not saying that a man must have a family in order to be a deacon. Or he must have a wife. He may not. I know some men who have served as deacons single who have been some of the most wonderful deacons I have ever seen in my life. Not married, never married, never had any children. They may have children or they may not. Some people think that Paul has probably wrote this this way because that was the most common situation, right? What's the most common situation for people? Married and a family. Paul points out, that being the case, that would be the most common situation in order to evaluate a man's life. Now, do you understand? He, he could be single, not married, not have any children. He could still serve as a deacon. But if he is married and has children, that's a way for you to look at his life and observe him to see how he serves his family, how he takes care of his family. Is a good indication to you how he will serve in the church. Notice here, the first qualification for a deacon is that he must be the husband of one wife. Again, here's an issue that there's been a lot of trees and a lot of ink used up on people writing about this issue. If you were to research this issue, you would find numerous interpretations of what this phrase could mean. But literally, here's what this, this phrase means. The husband of one wife means this. A one-woman man. That's what that means. My position is that Paul's referring to a man's current faithfulness to his wife. In other words, does this man have an exclusive, faithful relationship with the woman to whom he's now married to? That's what Paul's talking about. I say that because from the beginning, the attention has been on the man's character. Here the qualification seems no different. The emphasis is on the man being faithful to just one woman, his wife. Paul wants to know where this man is a one-woman kind of man. What you're looking for, church, is this. Does a man demonstrate a high degree of marital faithfulness? Is he loyal to his wife and her alone? He is, is he a one-woman man? What does that mean for the deacon? And might I add, any man. Any man here today. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. A deacon, a man, must be faithful to his wife. And listen to me carefully, that includes his body, his eyes, and his thoughts. Nothing is off limits when it comes to this. A deacon cannot be a womanizer. He certainly must not be involved in extramarital affairs in every way, in all respects. He must be a one-woman man. Look again at verse 12. Deacons must manage their children and their households well. The word manage here means to rule or to be over. That's what he's talking about. The qualification to manage his children well is similar to Paul's command in verse 4 for pastors that they keep their children submissive with all dignity. A deacon's children should not be known as rebellious and out of control. He should discipline them appropriately so they do not bring disgrace upon him or his role as a deacon in the church. Now listen to me carefully. I hold this position as long as the children are at home. Once they leave home, I feel that the father is not responsible for the actions of his children in the event that they decide to rebel and go against God. He's raised them up, taught them right from wrong, taught them the gospel, taught them the scriptures, and once they leave, they decide to turn and rebel against God, I think his obligations for that are over with. 
Notice there the qualification to manage his household well. It's kind of broad. This includes, listen, this includes his money, his possessions, and everything else that falls under his leadership in the home. Household well. All that's within his leadership role in the home, he must manage it well. Basically, it comes to those who serve God's church as deacons. You're looking for people who in their own households are demonstrating responsible leadership when it comes to their relationship with their wives, their relationship with their children, if in fact they are married and have children. Look at verse 13, and we'll wrap this up. Deacons, notice here the reward for serving well. The reward for serving well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing from themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, deacons, your role is what? Serving others. Also notice that it's not those who are deacons in name only. In other words, it's not those who hold a position, but those who do what? Serve well. And those who serve well, what? They obtain a reward. Notice what it is. It's two things. Good standing. Those who serve well obtain a good reputation before men, before the church. Faithful deacons should be respected and honored by those they serve. But, I'll say this. I believe the passage means something greater than that. I think the passage means that they earn a good and a high standing before God who will one day reward them. I think that's where the ultimate good standing is. Comes One day, God will reward that deacon who has served well. Second, they gain great confidence in their faith that is in Christ Jesus. The idea here is that deacons who serve well will be bold in their faith and they'll have courage in expressing what they believe. Now, let me explain. Bold doesn't mean that our deacons show up on the street corner in Rocky Mountain and begin to proclaim the gospel at the top of their lungs, yelling and spitting and hollering at people as they ride by. That's not bold, Okay? It refers to someone believing the gospel and faithfully living the gospel and proclaiming that gospel to those they come in contact. They're bold in their faith. They have courage in expressing what they believe. It refers to the deacon's relationship with the outside world. It refers to the deacon's confidence to be bold in public concerning his faith. In other words, the confidence the deacon builds in his role of serving is a means of growing him and his personal relationship with Jesus. And as a result, the proclamation of his faith becomes stronger and it becomes bolder as he does that. So, there are the qualifications for those who will serve as deacons. And let me make some points of application here and we'll be done. Before I do that, let me say personally, as I've already said to Billy and Johnny who are rolling off, thank you, but... Thank you to all the deacons who serve this church. Thank you for what you do. Especially those who have been active in the last two years that I've been here. Thank you for being patient with me. A lot of patience with me as I learn how to be a pastor, as I learn how to preach. And some are saying, hurry up and learn. Your deacons are patient. And I'm grateful for their, uh, them loving me and helping me. And thank you. Thank you, Billy, and thank you, Johnny, for what y'all have done. And the ones who are coming on, I'm sure I'll get to say the same thank you to you in the future. But you've been a blessing in my life, and thank you guys for serving this church. So how do we apply this? Before you leave today, 
members of the church, I want you to find at least one deacon and thank them for the work that they do in this church because they love this church. One deacon. You can find one, right? And if you're quick, you can find two or three. Find one deacon. You know, deacons spend a lot of time behind the scenes serving you ways that you're unaware of. We have some deacons in this church who see something needs to be done and they go do it and no one ever knows they've done it. That's a deacon. That's serving. Secondly, ask God that He would give us wisdom to understand the qualifications to match them up with men who meet them and vote that way. And again, we have no problems. And here, lastly, let me say this. Don't walk away today thinking that these are qualifications that are only for those who serve as deacons. We look at these qualifications and we go, those are for deacons. I'm not a deacon. I don't desire to be a deacon, so this doesn't apply to me. Here's what you fail to understand. These are the minimum qualifications for someone to be considered as a deacon, which means these qualifications ought to be evidenced in everyone's life. These are things that we all should strive for in our lives as Christians. Not just those who want to be deacons. This is how we should all strive to live, whether we're deacons or not. Because as one who professes faith in Christ, your life should reflect these qualifications in your life. Will you be perfect? Absolutely not. But you can be blameless. You can be above reproach. And no one bring a charge against you as not meeting the qualifications as a follower of Christ. So let's pray.